Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email. My guest today, Jen, I've been really looking forward to an in-depth conversation with Reed Freeman. Reed, welcome. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Your partner at Aaron Fox, and you're also the exec director of the Email Sender and Provider Coalition, correct? Well, I, technically, I'm outside counsel, but I operate in the capacity of executive director. That's I was right. going to say, I think you keep the trains running there. We'll, we'll talk about that. The Center Provider Coalition in more depth, but one of the things I really wanted to talk with you about, because frankly, you're an expert in this space, is privacy. It seems like the world woke up not that many years ago and said, oh, this actually matters. And bam, all of a sudden it's changing and you're finally reaching our shores. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I've been at this for 25 years in this practice. I started at the Federal Trade Commission. And so it's been interesting to me up until five years ago. Uh, we had a, a certain type of privacy law, especially in the USA. Things were generally, it's either deceptive or it's unfair or it's legal. And that was a, <laughs> was a lot of law and a lot of, a lot of feel to it. And five years ago, the GDPR took, took effect and it'll be five years this summer. And California passed its comprehensive privacy law, which has since been amended. Since then, we've had four other states pass laws. So now we have all of these big, thick, comprehensive codes in privacy law. Now, it just didn't exist really more than five years ago. Europe had a, what was called a directive, but it wasn't a, an implementing regulation. So the, the privacy has really become a, a front, front to burner issue, a C-suite issue since then. And the reason for that is it's not just because everybody suddenly got very interested in privacy. It's GDPR, you, they can fine you up to 4% of your global revenue, regardless. So it's, it, that's why we see fines, you know, as high as three quarters of a billion dollars with a B in Europe. And so, you know, that happens a couple of times and people notice and, and pay attention. So you're saying companies have actually gotten connected with fines of that? Yes. Yes. Wow. We have seen fines that high, even in the, in the USA, just in December, Epic Games, I think they make Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, they... The FTC went after them for two things. Uh, we'll talk about these. Privacy violation, collecting kids' information without parents' consent, and then what they called dark patterns. We'll talk more about this. Dark patterns is another way of saying tricky, tricky yeah. language yeah. and manipulating your, uh, and it's a bit, kind of a paternalistic term, but there were dark patterns in the, in the cancellation of it. And the, 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 we're going to talk more about this too, the, the big deal with dark patterns is subscriptions that you can't get out of, fees yeah. that you didn't know you were going to pay. Yeah. The things that generate a lot of consumer complaints. And so the FTC went for basically a half a billion dollars, a quarter of a billion dollars for the children's privacy, 250 million children's privacy, 250 million for dark patterns. So almost half a billion dollars by the FTC in just one case last year. So if that's not a wake up call, yeah. uh, that it, hardly anything is. So the FTC is on the beat and they are really ramping up enforcement in a big way. So put this in, put this in, in a, like a sort of a simplified business context for a moment, because I agree, half a billion dollars could get almost anybody's attention. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's a C-suite issue, but businesses that feel like they're still like doing things right, square, et cetera, et cetera, still need to pay attention how they're complying with privacy law, don't they? Yeah, so there's two two kinds. There's sort of what I'll call privacy footfalls, 
And then there's just double faults, right? <laughs> so okay. the foot fault's a technical violation. Double fault's a bigness, two of them. Okay. So, so what we're talking about with, with Epic Games was a, was a massive double fault. Yep. So, and, and, and so if C-suite executives take nothing else from this podcast at all, it yep. is obsess over your consumer complaints. Because you think about it like a regulators, they sit around. It's not like they think to themselves, hmm, I'm going to investigate Epic Games. No, complaints piled up. They fed into the FTC's complaint system. They got a whole bunch of them. Yep. And the FTC then launched an investigation. And lo and behold, they found, they alleged um, a huge drove of consumer complaints. And then all kinds of messaging back and forth like, hey, this is an issue. Yeah, okay, no big deal. Nothing happens, nothing happens. And so... After a while, a pattern develops and the FTC gets more and more frustrated as they go through these things. And, uh, and so, if, if, you know, backwards, if you're, a, if you're an executive, look at your consumer complaints. They are the roadmap to an investigation in my, many cases, especially the big misses, right? So if you, if you get a, a spike in complaints, you can sort of categorize your complaints. If you get a spike in a certain area, figure out what that area is and try to tamp them down, make people happy, make the... The, the, the more you do that, the less of a roadmap there is for the government. And, and so consumer complaints is one thing. The other, the other thing that the footfalls you can make are all of these new laws with all kinds of rules and prohibitions and mandates and consumer rights and things, but you really can, you really can footfall your way into trouble with these. And that's sort of the trouble. And that's why I've been thinking a lot this spring about what's really being enforced and what. What do we think is going to be enforced going forward? And I can tell you, right, the big issue right now is in, in each one of these states, there's an opt-out. In California, you can opt out of the sharing and sale of your personal information. And the, the AG, the, who has enforcement authority until July, is already investigating honoring opt-outs. I mean, you could sort of guess if, if the law gives you a, a single really important right, that's where the enforcement yeah. is going to do uh, Wait, and, July, what changes in July? All right. Yeah, good question. So a lot changes in July. There's a giant amendment to this law that took effect in January, but it's not enforced until July. And it's not enforced until July for things from July on. So it's not retroactive. And this law That's, in California, right? Yeah. So California, there's two. It's complicated. This, <laughs> this The CCPA, even my mother has heard of the CCPA. It was amended by the CPRA and it, it, it's still the CCPA. It's just had a big amendment. The big, the, one of the, the key changes in the, the CPRA is uh, until, until January, you had a right to the opt out of the sale of your personal information. And starting in, in January and being enforced in July is you can opt out of the sale and sharing of your personal okay. information. Sharing is not your mother's definition of sharing. It's, it's, it's a, it sounds bigger than it is. Sharing is sharing for basically behavioral advertising purposes. And so uh, item two, item two of, of the takeaway is there are two, well, I'll just say there are three. There are three giant bugaboos in advertising, three big ones in, in privacy. There's targeted advertising. I don't know why. But you put internet within five words of advertising, you have a privacy problem. Yes. You always have, you always will. And Europe hates it. Our regulators are skeptical of it. So number two is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, it's not intuitive. 
Why is artificial intelligence a bugaboo? Because for some people, in some cases, it can produce a bad outcome. In hiring, in employment, in, in credit, it can produce biased outcomes. And because of that, the whole thing has a cloud of by regulators and legislators. Number three, the less concern to, to email marketers is the collection of any kind of biometric information. They're, it has become the case. Do you remember when, if you sent a text message, you could expect to be sued? I mean, there was, it's the TCPA. You send a text message, you're going to get sued. It doesn't matter if God yeah. sends it, he's getting sued. Yeah. The same thing with biometrics now. It's the exact same. You collect a fingerprint, you're going to get sued and you're going to have to defend yourself. And the reason is, why would that be the case? Because the law allows for a private right of action. The law allows plaintiffs, lawyers, and class actions to bring a case. And what, why do they do it? Because they get one third of the recovery. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, you know, if you want a law, if you want compliance with the law, make, give it a private right of action. <laughs> okay. And then, and is the, is it private right of action for infringement of the sale or sharing of personal information that you mentioned? The, the, the California does not have a, a private right of action. I think nine of the state bills, nine of the 48, would have a private right of action. If any of those passes, that is a major, game major game changer. Yeah. Right. Because right now, if you, if you think about it, in most cases, the, the regulator can enforce the law, whether it's a California regulator or a Virginia or... Sure or the FTC, and they generally exercise discretion. They have what we call a, a target rich environment. They can go after any kind of, they, they actually say that out loud. I love that phrase. So, so they, they, they have some discretion in what they go after and how they go after it. And they exercise discretion and they do bring really bad cases, but not always, you know, they generally over a long period of time in a lot of cases, generally they pick the low-hanging fruit. Not so when there's a private right of action because there's no discretion. The only thing that matters is the plaintiff's lawyer thinks he can make one-third on a bunch of money. That's the only thing that matters. Right. And right. so think about this. You, you collect fingerprints or a voice print or a facial scan. Um, the, the, the plaintiff's lawyer is going to go after you and say that you violated the law in Illinois for, that prohibits certain types of collection. Now, this is America. It's not loser pays. You, Michael or Matthew Dunn, have to pay to defend yourself. And you're going to pay and pay and pay until you file a, what's called a motion to dismiss to get rid of the case. And let's say you win. The plaintiff's lawyer knows what that costs. Let's say that costs $75,000. Hey, for you, I'll settle for 50. So they hold you hostage for the legal fees. And that is where we are with the, with the biometrics. And that's where we will go if there is a private right of action in all these comprehensive laws. You said it blew right past it, voice print. Does that mean a recorded call is a potential cause for this kind of private action? Oh, there's a different right of action for that. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's parse that out. What is a voice print? The, the biometric laws put certain requirements and prohibitions on the collection of a biometric identifier. So it has to be in the case of a voice print, it has to be your voice in a way that I could use to identify you. Okay. So it would be at the unique aspects of your voice, the ones and zeros that go with a digital collection of your voice, just like a face scan is just facial geometry. 
Okay. So it's not just a recording. Now there's a whole other set of laws that prohibit the, there are 12 states that require two-party consent to record. So if I'm on the phone with you in, in 38 states, all I have to do is give consent. The whole thing can be recorded. But in 12 states, you also have to consent. By the way, we're recording this. <laughs> I got the disclosure. I got a big, I got a big opt-in thing. You got a big well opt-in on yeah. screen when I click record. Yeah. But yeah. you, can you derive a voice print from a recording? Yes, you could. But I think the plaintiff would have to prove that you're using the voice print to identify me, not just to listen to my voice later, but to identify me as among others. Okay. So that's why the, the, the classic example, with a, who, who's being sued the most in these biometric cases? Employers, because it's the clock in, clock out. There's a whole set of technology for clock in, clock out based on a fingerprint. And, and you know, I, how employers in Illinois don't know that there's a sledgehammer that's going to fall on their head. I don't know, but, but there's an entire group of lawyers who are looking out for that and bringing cases. So it's think a, about this. So there's another set. The gold rush in, it's akin to the gold rush that happened in 1848. ADA, ADA, people getting sued because their website's not ADA compliant. It's that's really very, very similar to okay. that. And the reason is because the law provides an incentive for lawyers to find and bring cases. So think about this. This is kind of funny. It's not intuitive until I say it out loud. But which came first, the lawyer or the client? <laughs> the lawyer. The lawyer finds the case, recruits clients, and, okay. and, then, and then sues you. So, wow. yeah, it's, it, is a, it is a gold rush. And, you know, think about you think about facial geometry, how common can that be? Well, all of a sudden, there is a whole bunch of the whole class of these cases being brought against virtual try-on technology. So I go to a website to try on sunglasses and that has to take facial geometry to let me see what I look like with sunglasses or jewelry or makeup or haircut. Yep. So the, there are, I think, five different sets of class actions going after virtual try-on services, wow. which I think is, is you'll see how these shake out, but they, they, these are things that are increasing in popularity. Consumers like them, everybody likes them, but there are certain requirements and prohibitions in, in the law when you collect any kind of biometric identifier. Hmm. So you are, I mean, you're, you're, you're focusing, I think, on, on the laws that are likely to be enforced. And it sounds like where there's a private right of action, the likelihood of action and enforcement goes up. Fair? Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And also, the, the, you know, the more, the more commonly something is practiced, maybe not for the obvious reason, but like I wouldn't have thought of makeup and trial as biometric, but yeah. That's, that's because you don't get one third. So a fair point. Let me, let me talk about something else that I think is we're going to see a lot of this year. And I, and I'm starting to see other lawyers say this too. The the, by the way, if you didn't know why, didn't weren't satisfied that targeted advertising is a bugaboo and in privacy, the Federal Trade Commission has coined the term surveillance advertising. Same thing. It's now surveillance advertising. So, so here's the other the warning. I think we're going to see a lot of is dark patterns. Uh, so as we talked about earlier, a dark pattern, according to the government, is any kind of user interface that would cause you to do something maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise. Pause and think about that definition. And then tell me, how would you define sales? Yeah, really. <laughs> so, the, much, right? so a dark pattern can be anything from it's really easy to subscribe to something 
and it's impossible to get out. Uh, it, it, which, by the way, is pretty common. It goes all the way to any kind of choice where it's, yes, I agree, pick green, and then a no thanks or, or worse yet, options, you know, or, you know, tell me more. Where the choice isn't symmetric, yes, no, that, according to the government, failing to have a yes, no, where there's a yes, there should also be a no, is all it's by itself a dark pattern. Another, another one would be a false sense of urgency. Hurry, sale ends in eight hours yeah, when it doesn't. That's pretty common, right? Only three left. These are, these are pretty common sales tactics to drive demand, yeah. which are suddenly illegal. Now, where the reason I'm focusing on enforcement is when you take that to the logical extreme, really common things are flat out illegal. But where, the, where is the enforcement going to be? Is it going to be all the way at the extreme or will it dial back? Where's the, where's the gray where business will operate and as opposed to the red and the, and the pink where the, the enforcement is, right? So that's always where business operates, a little bit in the gray. That's where the market usually is, except for banks and with, except for some banks. But so We're anyway. Just after SVB fell. No, no, no. I, context, I, listener, that's what. I have no comment on any of that. No comment but, on any of that, right? So. So, you know, I, I, I think we're going to see what one thing the market hates more than anything is uncertainty. And we're in a period of uncertainty now where the government is saying all these things are illegal and the market is used to doing a lot of these things. So where is yeah. the line going to be? Yeah. But I, I think things, I think what we're going to see is any kind of fee, any kind of fee at all that's being charged, whether you know, the FTC refers to most fees as junk fees. Okay. So any kind of fee, any kind of, of what we call a negative option free trial where I, you know, I get seven days for free. Then if I do nothing, I continue to enjoy the service. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be charged every month. Okay. So really these negative, well, that's a negative option free trial. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, legal, yeah. a legal thing. But the, you know, consumers complain. There's a new app that's advertised on TV all the time. You got unwanted subscriptions, download this app and it'll get rid of your unwanted subscriptions. This is a big thing in, in the market right now. It's a lot of the, anytime you can get recurring revenue, it's a, it's a, it's a driver. So we see a lot of it and naturally we see consumers reacting to it and a lot of consumers complain. So I think these kinds of subscriptions, negative option trials, fees, you know, if you're getting consumer complaints, you're probably, people probably don't understand what's going on or it's too hard to cancel. So you'd have to adjust things to keep the complaints down and just run faster than the other guy the bear's chasing. Hmm. So let's let's drill into the subscription thing a little bit because as a as a as a SaaS company, we pay attention to this. We campaign genius in my case. Um because I wouldn't have thought that trial period then subscription could be interpreted as a dark pattern. Now that you say it out loud, it it makes sense. How much is a SaaS company who operates that way, free freemium or, or trial and subscribe, how much risk are they at if they're small? Okay. Let's, let's unpack that. A, a negative option free trial, like you described is presumptively legal. Okay. What makes it illegal? What makes it illegal is when people don't get it. Okay. So in, in, in consumer protection law, then the beautiful thing about consumer protection law is the law is what it should be in almost all cases. So in consumer protection law, you're not only liable for what you say, you're liable for what people take away. 
not everybody, not the idiot that's called the village idiot standard, but the reasonable consumer, what the reasonable consumer takes away. New York, it's the village idiot standard. Most states, it's reasonable. So, you know, if you think I'm conveying that, that you, this is free, but you got to give your card and after seven days, you're going to be charged. And then every month after that, this amount, if you think you're conveying all of that, but you're getting a flood of consumer complaints of people saying, what, why am I charged and why can't I get out? You've got a problem with that. You need to be more clear. And, you know, where's the market? You know, the market's probably not where it should be right now. It's probably going to shake out the more cases the government brings. But it's not illegal to offer a negative option free trial. It's illegal when people don't get it. And when you, when you, when you're aware that people are, are confused and have been, and feel like they've been victimized. So the law is what it should be. It's, it's, you know, I always joke, my mother would be a good consumer protection lawyer because, you know, she's got good sense. (laughs) And and so that, that is, so I want to clear that up. Nevertheless, subscriptions, fees, these are things the FTC has said over and over they're going after. And so why does this matter for email? right? Let's bring it back home. Uh, it's curious. There, there, there is, so you've heard of aiding and abetting, right? Let's say you rob a bank and I drive you away, right? I'm the, I'm the getaway car. Well, I've aided and abetted grand larceny and right. Because I helped you. There is no aiding and abetting for the FTC act. So what did they do? They made up something that's the same thing. They, they, their statute doesn't allow for it, but they made it up and courts bought it. So it doesn't really matter what it's, it's called means and instrumentalities, but it's the same thing. I provide you the means and instrumentalities to commit fraud. And we see this in telemarketing a lot. So you think about a company has a, a freemium offer and an, and, a, and an ESP helps them deliver it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if the government can show the ESP knew or should have known this was a problem, they can go after both. Oh. And they go after the, the brand and the e- email yeah. provider. So you're not... You're not inoculated by, by just being, by burying your head in the sand and, and having a client. If your client's engaged in deception, you're on the hook too. And so the, the FTC has said for generations, companies should do due diligence on their vendors to make sure they're not crooks, right? Well, well and, and, and vice versa, right? Vendors. So what we're, exactly what we're seeing now is the FTC saying vendors do due diligence on your brand. Customers, yeah. 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 I was going to throw a specific example at you because this is gold, man. Thank you. Uh, uh, we, we have for years used a subscription management platform as part of our SaaS service. And one of the configuration options in that subscription management platform is notification about renewal, right? Hey, just a reminder, your, your subscription is going to renew at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year. And I've always thought you should have that on, right? It's right. like the decent thing to do. Right. Everybody does that. Well, yeah. How, how many times have you gotten that for a subscription you've entered into yourself? Uh, yeah. So, Frequently. so you know, that I would say that that's the best practice, right. whether that's required by law, you know, I don't know, depends on who you ask, but, but what does that accomplish? What does that accomplish is, is people who don't want the subscription or frankly, who are too lazy to get out of it, don't. And then they don't want to complain because they got to notice, right? right. If you don't have that, in your complaints pile up, you yeah. have, you have a problem. So 
I, I, I want to circle back to this. If you take nothing else away, your complaints are gold. You, the government, the, the, the rule of thumb is the government gets about one in 100 of what you get. And, and they get them long after you got them. Because how many times have you complained to the Federal Trade Commission? I'll bet zero. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? Okay. But how many times have you complained to a company? You've just written an email, been frustrated? A lot, right? So there's a huge multiplier. So you have uh, an exponentially more than the government, but they're typically the same. And you get them earlier. So you have a chance to tamp them down before the government sees a problem. And the government really does, true, the FTC gets millions and millions of consumer complaints. And they, they run all kinds of programs on them, see trends, what's, what's trending, what, is, what are people complaining the most about, what's new, what's old. And then they prioritize the cases they're going to bring. You just don't want to be in that mix. That is where you don't want to be. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's remarkable how often that that simple admonition is something no one's ever thought about. They'd say, you know, the customer care will handle that. You know what? Actually not. You, you, legal should be in there looking at the complaints, raising it with management, saying, this is the spike I'm seeing. We've got to get this down. Well, um, I, I'd, I'd actually, ex I'd extend that further. And, I, and I, I'm going to hook this back to email in a, in, a, in a kind of a funny way. I think a lot of companies are guilty of using email as a one-way channel. At send, send, send. Have you ever gotten an email with a no reply as the reply yeah. address? Yeah. 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 All of us, right? And you're like, why is it so freaking hard to talk to you? You're willing to take my money, but you're not willing to listen to me? Give me a break, right? And would it help to, uh, I'm paying attention to the complaints. That's, that's like, that's the headline for this one now, this episode. But can, do we help ourselves in make it, making it easier for our customers to talk to us? Well, that's a, probably more than is required, but you hit on something really important. The FTC has long taken the position, but now they're suing on it a lot, that it should be as easy to get out as it is to get in. Sure. Now, that seems easy and obvious until you're running a business and you don't pay attention to that. Yeah. So, yes, it, it, when it's easy to subscribe and get your money taken out, but then you can't figure out where to cancel and you go and you get this endless loop. Yeah. And a bunch of screens and are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? You know, this goes on and on. You can't actually do it. That's where the government steps in and says, there's no symmetry here. Yeah. There should be symmetry. Yeah. yeah. By right. the way, back to your SAS thing. This is important. So where's the enforcement? The law is the law. Well, whatever it is, it applies to everybody. The enforcement is not on B2B. By and large, I mean, unless it's B2B with small mom and pop shops, yeah. which are, is basically consumers. The enforcement is B to C. So if you're a consumer-facing brand or you're a vendor for a consumer-facing brand, that's where the enforcement is. The law is the same. It's just that the, you know, if, if General Motors goes and complains about Ford, the FTC will say, good grief, you know, if you have a way bigger budget than we do, you yeah. deal with it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, at the, yeah it, I guess at the end, end of the day, the... This consumer is the consumer is the citizen or closer to right right a lot of, yeah. a lot of the laws and and if and focus of the laws is the, the those of us who those of us vote pay taxes all that other stuff right okay okay so b to c brand should pay even more attention to their customer complaints i think b to b brand should obviously but yeah yeah okay so you're saying it it matters even more in the b to c space you said small business like I, I, I get a half a billion 
dollar suit and I know what Fortnite is and was, so I wasn't entirely surprised. I get the half a billion dollar suit. Should, should the smaller B2C business still pay attention to this stuff from the very beginning? Yeah. You know, um, uh, this is, this is something that that's deeply frustrating to me and, and others. You look at the cases the federal trade commission has brought in the last 15 years, which is basically they started bringing privacy cases 25 years ago. They've, they've enhanced a lot over the last 15 years. So many of them are against companies you've never heard of. Why is that? Yes. Why is that? Because they don't have the resources to fight back. And what happens is they agree to what's called an order. So they, they will agree to make the case go away to end the bloodletting of legal fees and the production of documents and all of that. They'll agree to an order and then the FTC will write its complaint and its order provisions and get a little bit more than they could have gotten from a judge. And then that becomes the going standard. So they're making law on easy targets. And this is over and over and over again. So it's curious, the, the FTC will talk about its cases as though they were decided by the Supreme Court in an opinion. They weren't, they were settles. They, but there was an agreed settlement to, to make the case go away. Yeah. And that becomes what we call precedent for the next case and the next case and the next case. So when you, the FTC will talk about its privacy enforcement, they, they rattle out the names of these cases as though they were litigated decisions with a judge deciding they actually not, they were agreed by a lot of small companies to make a case go away. Hmm. It seems rather loose. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good strategy. It works. Oh. So, uh, you know, I don't want to trash the, the FTC too much. I mean, that, that is something that I'm frustrated with, but, but, you know, by and large, they, they, they don't bring a lot of cases that they could, even if they think they could win because there's bad cases. Let me see if I can link two other things together that are through lines in what you've said. One is lawyers <laughs> and, and the other is on data and privacy, let's call it practices. Let me take the, let me take the second one and then the first one, second one. I would hazard a guess that most companies of almost any size actually have god awful records about who said yes you can yes you can store this yes you can have this yes you have permission to communicate with me etc. Like it's one of those things that we all talk about, but in practice, if someone said you got read on your newsletter, when did he sign up? I don't know. Like, like there's a record in there, right? But if you came along and, or your lawyer came along and said, oh, we're going to pounce on you because you don't have permission to do what you did with Reed's email address, my, my top line reaction would be, oh man, lawyers are, lawyers are expensive, aren't they? And, and really the, the big fulcrum in all this is, is the cost of the legal action is, is, it's, it's so high that your average business just goes, how you, how do I get out of this? How do I stop this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, one of the things that's interested me since I've been, I've been with the ESPC since 2010 and the ESPs legitimate, you know, we always talk about legitimate ESPs and, and not legitimate. What I think people will be heartened to hear is that legitimate ESPs generally think the law is higher than it is. Oops. I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that. The law, they, they generally think the law is higher than it is. The CAN-SPAM does not require permission-based emails. 
it requires an opportunity to opt out. California tried to pass an opt-in email bill in 2003, and that's why we have key and spam, because they did pass the law. It was going to take effect, and business went to Congress and said, absolutely not. And Congress passed key and spam, which had been sitting around for five years. Okay. So, but it's a best practice. And what is, what does permission to email do? First of all, better response rates. Second of all, you, you know, you get more engaged people and you get less, less complaints. So, you know, the legitimate, I mean, the ESPC has a requirement for members to do permission-based emails. That's a re- membership requirement, but that's, that's an industry standard. And so I'm, I've always been hard people talk about spam and, and marketing emails. And I always say, you know, this industry operates at a higher level. Than, than a lot of others. So, but, but you raise a good point. It is becoming more and more important to have records, compliance records for how you're complying with these state laws, how you're complying with the GDPR, because when the regulator comes, they, they expect you to have all of these records, which, which takes me to another point. Let's turn that upside down. Some of these laws require what's called a, a privacy impact assessment. This has been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. If you're going to do a certain kind of profiling of people, you're going to do certain kinds of automated decision-making, these laws will require a privacy impact assessment, which is literally a, this is what we want to do. These are the risks. These are the mitigators. So we think it's okay. You know, good grief. Like, these are the risks. Really? You're going to write that down? And, you know, it's not privileged? Say no one's talking about this. This document scares the wits out of me because you're now required to have this. You're required to keep it and produce it when the government comes calling. And it is a roadmap to all of your own anxieties that you have to write down now. So we'll see how this shakes out. But I am a big advocate of having like legal do this and keeping it privileged because if you really want to be honest about it and do it right, you have to write things down that you really wouldn't want other people to see. And that's, that's the tension here is, you know, how can you do a legitimate one and survive discovery? It's right. It's a problem. So, and of course, you know, this just rammed through the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act went through the entire legislature was signed by the governor in one week, one business week. If you are on vacation, you missed the whole thing. So did anybody read it? Did anybody think about it? Did anybody talk about stuff like this? No, it just rammed through and was signed because it's consumer privacy. So this is all going to shake out over the next several years. This is all new and we'll see how it shakes out. But this is just one of the issues that's a big problem. It's such a delight to have an expert in this space. I get to to pick on you. (laughs) Go wide for a second. Why is the U.S. so different? on privacy issues. Yeah, you, you know, the I've thought a lot about this too. So let's just call it what it is. The rest of the world, I mean, China, Russia, Nigeria, I mean, countries all over the world have comprehensive privacy laws. China and Russia, think about that. So, and we don't. You know, why Why is that? The, the re, there's a reason. In, in 1974, we passed the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is our first wildly big privacy law. And it's exactly where it should be credit, right? Where bad things can happen. The, the privacy act for how the federal government treats people. Why do we have that? Richard Nixon. That was in the early seventies. Then we did the, the children's online privacy protection, Act, cream leach for health, for financial HIPAA for health. We have all these laws that have built up 
And then suddenly Congress says, we want a comprehensive privacy law. Guess, guess who stands up and says, not me? All those people. I already did my law. Not me. Not me. Not me. And by the way, if you do it, you got to do it this way, that way. So it's almost like we matured without it. And now it's really hard to go back and put that code on. It, it, it's just it, what, happen, what happens time and time again is it gets introduced. Then a bunch of people come in and, and want their own ornament on the tree. And it becomes too big. It becomes, you just can't get it through. There are too many interests involved and it's too hard. I'm not sure we'll ever have one, especially now that we have the state laws. Companies spend a lot of money doing CCPA. They don't want to do a whole new thing. Is California such a, you know, such a big part of the economy that CCPA becomes sort of the de facto standard? Yes, that's a great point. So we have all these laws, but what you're seeing in the market is, is people benchmarking to CCPA and they may do a, a, you know, are they saying like, we want to put all of Utah in Connecticut, Colorado, Virginia, you know, what you're seeing in the market is a lot more of let's do CCPA and let's do the big stuff from the other laws that we have to. So CCPA is big enough. It's hard enough. It's enforced enough that yeah, it, it is the de facto standard. So the de facto standard that got rammed through in a week, right? Right. And then amended and then amended. This is funny. It was a, it was a very long single spaced red line of that was put to the voters as if the voters read a giant yeah, single spaced right. red line, but it said consumer privacy, you know, that, that amendment passed a voter referendum. So, you know, if this is what we're seeing now, it's once something says privacy and it gets a little of a tailwind, it's hard to stop. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to stop. I. I don't think it works that way, but I find myself thinking that legislatures in other states that don't have a bill yet should find a way to go. Yeah. What they said down there in California. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of that, but in many of the, of the 48 bills to tailor to a certain standard, the problem is they don't all, and we don't know what's going to get out. And all you need is a few big differences, which create giant headache and for what marginal gain, right? Not much. Well, yeah, you, not mar not much marginal gain, but plenty of marginal risk because and headache, right? A, some lawyer in fill in the blank state is going to go, oh, you have a consumer here. Guess what? Our law is different, right? Right. We'd like to talk to you. Yeah, that's why the the there are all these bills, and they can be different, and we can raise our hands about them. But the ones that have a private right of action, where, where a class action lawyer can bring a case, those are the ones that that would really be an entire game changer. It, is, is it fair in a conversation with a lawyer to say that we're, we, we, the rest of us are a little frustrated and sometimes confused by the stick the legal profession swings in terms of cost and risk? It's, it's entirely fair. It's entirely fair. The, the, I think the, the rejoinder would be from the enforcers would be if there was no stick, there'd be no compliance. Uh, and, and then the, the, the bar that helps you would say, if there weren't enforcement, you know, you wouldn't need us, but there is, so you do. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's why it's important to, if you're going to hire a lawyer to hire a lawyer, you doesn't have to learn this all when you're a dime. It's complicated yes, and it's, it's complicated. and it's really, I, I get about 10 newsletters every day yeah. and I would say that privacy law. And this is the one thing, all things I know, this one thing very well. It changes about 5% a month. So in five years, it's an entire rewrite. 
Uh, and that's a lot of law. I mean, yeah. there, there are books this thick that are like some of the privacy law. Yeah. So it's a lot of law. It is just, it's a very, very dynamic area. But circling back, sure, you can commit a, a footfall. But what are the big things you need to do? Watch your consumer complaints and, and watch your spikes and honor consumer opt-outs, honor consumer requests. If a consumer asks you something, unless there's a good reason why you can't do it, should do it. Because if they don't get it, they're going to be frustrated and they're going to complain. And so that is, that is the, the enforcement we're seeing. And then this whole dark pattern business, really it ends up in, in deception and consumer complaints for being frustrated that they can't yeah. get out. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, this sample set of one, so not a big sample set, but as an active, you know, active SaaS business with all of the subscriptions and dependencies and services involved in running a SaaS business, I think there's been a, a shift in the mindset of SaaS companies, at least the ones that serve B2B, okay, of being better about doing the right thing. I just had an interaction this morning, seriously, 10 minutes before we hopped on this call, where I'd essentially opened a duplicate subscription and not realized it. Mayor culpa, right, idiot. So I wrote the company and I said, oh, you know, I already have one and I'm using this one. And they said, oh, no problem. Close that one down. We'll credit, you know, the other one. They kept the revenue. They kept the customer and they've got me very happy. They'll probably have me for multiple years. And it wasn't actually that hard. And it used to be a huge pain in the patootie when you'd run into a situation like that. You wouldn't even know where to, where to look or who to call. So I, I am hardened that I think businesses, it's like the online space is growing up a bit. Yeah. Like you could hide behind, oh yeah, you can't find us. So we'll just keep charging your card, but <laughs> that doesn't tend to last. And a noisy consumer or an unhappy customer has a very loud voice. These Yeah. Well, you know, what I think we're going to see is, I'm glad you raised that, is the online world really is it no longer looked at as a child anymore. It has to right. be a grown up like yeah. everybody else. Yeah. But what we're, what we're seeing now is the same sort of start from the beginning with AI. So, you know, oh, where, well, so, you know, we are at, and we've talked about this before, but we're at like midnight and half a second in AI right now. And look at what it can already do. Who knows what it'll be able to do, but it is generating all the same issues in intellectual property and privacy that the internet did when it took off yeah. and the iPhone and all the, every new technology, Yeah, but it's going to be fun to watch AI grow up and to see it develop. And it's been interesting to see the difference in approach with Europe and the USA. Europe saw AI out of the glimmer of somebody's eye, said, quick, we have to regulate it. <laughs> the U.S. said, you know what? This has a lot of promise. It can also do a lot of harm. Let's watch it very closely and see how we should regulate it. Yeah. The very different approach, top down to sort of manage, but, you know, we'll see who, who got it right. But the, the U.S. has been more hands-off and the Europe has been, you know, shackle it from, from birth. That's fairly, that's fairly consistent practice. I tracked the rise of, of mobile pretty closely just as a technologist. And the U.S., we had all the science experiments of different standards, different carriers, yada, yada, yada. Europe, it was like, we will declare that we're using this technology. Everyone will adhere to it. So we jumped out early, then they leapfrogged us with, with more common usage across countries. Then we had to play catch up and basically the market had to force carriers 
to get on board with common standards. Like th- that's how right. we do it, right? In yeah, well, and I States. and I have a U.S. bias, of course, but sure. you know, it is actually true that there's not a lot of VC money in Europe. There's not a lot of entrepreneurship. There's not a lot of startups. There's not a yeah. lot of yeah. innovation in Europe. And there's a lot of companies fleeing Europe. Why? Too much regulation. And GDPR is just one example. Everything they do is like that. So, you know, I've always joked, uh, it's impossible to read the GDPR from beginning to end in one sitting. It's impossible. It can't be done. And, and so, I mean, it's just, it's, there's a lot of law and there's a lot of I dotting and T crossing in, in Europe. So, I mean, there's a reason why their innovation's not where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll keep figuring out that balance as we go along. There's also a culture thing. Like, yeah. let's just call it spade a spade. Like we take, we take some of the lumps for leaving it a little looser and then catching up later, but we get some of the, what we see as gains. And I imagine someone in Europe would say, oh, you guys are. Yeah, you know, I I don't buy it. You know, I go to Europe. I was just in Europe last two weeks ago. Right. You cannot swing a dead cat in continental Europe and not see a CCTV camera recording everything you do and everywhere you go. They're everywhere. And they have a privacy, a giant, huge privacy law. You know, for what? I'm recorded everywhere I go. So we don't have those. So, you know. (laughs) There's a lot of law for law's sake without sort of missing the big picture. You don't too bureaucratic for my taste. Well, Reed, I promised I would, I would not tie you up all day. And this has been one of the most fascinating and educational conversations ever. Uh, what's your parting advice to someone who listens to this and says, okay, pay attention to my consumer complaints, check, pay attention to CCPA, check, like, when you talk with someone who runs a business, what's the most common, gosh, if you just do this, you'd make your life easier aside from those two pieces of advice. Yeah. So there's the, the things that I've talked about, but, but also the, 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 what I want to impart is this is all changing wildly quickly. Yeah. The risk, the, the risk framework, what, what is risky now is going to be different than what's risky in the fall next year, this time. It's just, it's too dynamic. So I would say, you know, you, you should work with somebody you trust, a, a, a lawyer you trust who, who knows this space and just have a periodic call, like a checkup. What's hot? Because it changes a lot. And, the, and the, the, the sort of unknown thing is the government assumes that you know what's important to the government. They just assume that. And when you, when you misstep, you might think, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. If you're misstep in a way the government doesn't like, they're going to bring a case and wonder what's wrong with you. So it, it, a little checkup for where are we and what is, what's important now, I think is, is worth its weight in gold. That is. Doesn't cost that much for a quick checkup. It's terrific parting advice. Reed, it's been a gas. I look forward to further conversation live when we're together at a couple of conferences. Okay. Terrific. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We're out. All right.